Well, it's great to be back in Lafayette. Uh, Beth and I have been coming here now over 33 years. Uh, we were here last in July a year ago when we ordained Brandon. and uh, But this is my first time to be here since Brother Francis went on to heaven. Uh, but we're glad to see all of you. We miss Francis, but we love all of you. We're glad that we're really glad to be here. Uh, I uh, I brought some of my new new books. This is my latest book. Am I a dead dog? You say, where'd you get a title like that, brother Jimmy? Right out of the Bible. This is the story of Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, whose his nurse dropped him. You remember when? Uh, King Saul and Prince Jonathan died that day in battle. His nurse dropped him. And then they fled into the desert, hiding from David, thinking that David would soon come to kill him and establish his kingdom. Lived there for 20 years in the desert. And finally, David discovers where he is, brings him to Jerusalem, and tells him, Listen, man, I've been looking for you, for you Mephibosheth, all these years. And he says, I don't want to hurt you. I want to bless you. I restore to you everything that your grandfather and your father lost that day in the fall. You're now a rich man. All the land, everything is restored back to you. And I don't want you living out there in the desert. I want you to come to Jerusalem and live in the, in, in the palace here with me and take your place at the table among the sons of the king. And you remember what Mephibosheth's response was. Why would you look upon a dead dog like me? And so I wrote this book from the perspective of the first person singular, like I am Mephibosheth. It's an adventure story, and it's, it's a great book for helping people discover who they really are. You see, Mephibosheth was not a dead dog. The truth was, that's a false identity. The truth was, he was the grandson of a king, the son of the prince of Israel, and a covenant friend of King David. That was the truth. He had believed a lie. And so... Uh, this book is being put in a lot of foster parents' homes now, helping uh, young people uh, with their identity. And so I've got some of these out here in the foyer if you'd like to. Plus, I have my outdoor book and, and my other one also. Praise God. Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that, that you're so good to us. Thank you that you've been faithful to us through the years. We ask now that as we open the book, Lord, that you'll teach us this morning, cause revelation knowledge to flow, cause us to grab hold of the truth this morning, that our lives may be changed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Uh, well, I want to ask you a question. What's in a name? You know, we, we, we throw names around pretty loosely. Like in Texas, we name people Billy Bob. You... You heard about the little Indian boy who asked his father, he says, Father, where did you get my name? And he said, well, when your brother was born, I stepped out of the teepee, and the first thing that I saw was a flying eagle. And so I named him Flying Eagle. When your sister was born, I stepped out of the teepee, and the first thing that I saw was a running doe. So she became running doe. He said, by the way, why do you ask, little pooping dog? So we just throw names around pretty loosely. Turn with me to Psalm 9 and verse 10.
Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. In the Bible, a name has to do with one's nature and character. Those who know your nature and your character put their trust in you. If you do not know the nature and the character of God, if you do not know his true identity, you cannot put your trust in him. If you have the idea that God is one who uh, will kill your kid by a drunk driver on the highway because of some sin in your life, I'll tell you, you don't know the nature of God. That's a child abuser. That's not God's nature. If you have the idea that uh, God will slap a cancer on you to get your attention, that's not the nature of the God of the Bible. And you can't put your trust in that kind of God. Those who know your nature, those who know your character, put their trust in you. Actually, the two most important things that we can know in life, first of all, who God is, and second, who we are. Who God is and who we are. And that comes by revelation. That comes by revelation of the Holy Spirit, who God really is and who we really are. His true identity, our true identity. And I'll not speak much this morning on who God is because I don't have time. We could just do a series of sermons for many, many weeks on that. But one of the ways that you, re you, you discover the nature of God is by his names in the Bible, particularly his compound names. For example, Jehovah Jireh, the God or the Lord who sees and provides. His nature is provider. He loves to provide for his kids. That's who he is. Or Jehovah Shalom, the God whose nature is peace. May I say this morning, God is not sitting on the edge of his throne, wringing his hands and fretting and wondering if they're going to impeach President Trump down there in America. He is not a bit worried about if Rocket Man is going to nuke us. None of that. He is absolute peace. That's his nature. And we come to know him, we can live in that nature, in that peace of God. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord whose nature is healer, the God whose nature is physician, that, that's, that's his nature. He doesn't just heal. He is a healer. He is a doctor. That's who he is. And, and you can go on and on and on in those. And so when the angel told Mary, you're going to bear a son and you'll call his name what? Jesus, which is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Joshua. You'll call his name Jesus or Joshua, which means Savior or Deliverer. This son that you're going to have, his nature and his character, his essence, his true identity will be one who saves, one who delivers. That was his name. Now, <clears throat> in preparing for this message, I, I want us to, to talk about some about who, who we really are this morning, our true identity and in preparing for this message, I got to thinking about those four Hebrew boys that were carried off into Babylon. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar 
before the actual fall of Jerusalem, he made several raids on the city of Jerusalem, and he carried off some of the leading young people of the land back to Babylon, some of the smartest ones, some of the ones who showed the most promise for leadership, planning to take them back to Babylon and uh, make them uh, administrators and leaders in his kingdom. What was the first thing he did when he carried Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? What was the first thing he did when he brought them into Babylon? He changed their names. He changed their names because he wants to change their identity. He does not want them to be Hebrews who worship the true God. And he gives them these pagan names to change their nature and their character. And so I, I think it's wrong when we call Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're calling them by their pagan names. That's usually what we study in Sunday school. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are pagan names. Uh, my brother-in-law, when he was a little boy, uh, his dad asked him when he got out, came out of Sunday school, he said, what did you learn? They said, well, we learned about Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Those are their pagan names. We need to call them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Listen, listen to what these names mean that they changed them to. Daniel, they changed his name to Belshazzar, which means Prince of Bel, which was a Mesopotamian idol. Hananiah, whose name means grace, mercy, and gift of God, they, they changed to Shadrach, which means commander of the moon god. Mishael, anytime you see the word El in the name, you know it's what? It has the name God in it, right? Mishael, whose name means like God. They changed to Meshach, which means like the moon god. And Azariah, whose name means God helps, they changed to Abednego. And Abednego was a Mesopotamian god of death, war, and destruction. And so they changed their names to try to change their identity from being true Hebrews who worshiped the true God. But I can promise you, when Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah got together, they didn't call each other Abednego and all that stuff. They called themselves by their true names, their true identity, as they had fellowship together. And when the crunch came down, when it came down to crunch time, they stand with their identity. You remember Nebuchadnezzar builds this big old tall tower idol, and when you hear the music, you've got to fall down and worship Nebuchadnezzar. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah don't do it. And it's reported back to the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not worshiping the idol when, when, when the music sounds. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and says, what's going on? And, they, and basically what they tell him, we are Hebrew boys who worship the one true God and we will not fall down and worship an idol. You can heat that thing up as hot as you want it and throw us in there. Our God is still able to deliver us. And if he doesn't, then anyway, we'll still serve him and stand faithful to him. Praise God. What's in a name? Would you agree with me that today we have an identity crisis in America? We have an identity crisis in the world, in America? My, this whole thing of gender confusion. That's what it is, gender confusion. You see, 
gender at one time, and it correctly means the sex that you're born with. The sex that you're born with. But the radical liberal left for the last 60, 70 years has tried to move the word gender to mean not the sex that you're born with, but how you feel that you are. You may have male parts, but on the inside, I feel like I'm a female. That's my gender. No, it's not. That's confusion. Anyone who knows anything about basic genetics knows if you have the XX chromosome, you're female. If you have the XY chromosome, you're male. But that whole liberal left is trying to confuse things so that gender means, oh, I may have male parts, but I feel like I'm a female. You take Bruce Jenner, for example. Here's Bruce Jenner, a football star, gold medal winner in the Olympics in the decathlon. And what does he do? He changes his name to Caitlin, which is a female name, has a sex change and says, this is who I really am. No confusion. Identity confusion. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of uh, identity crisis in the church of people who don't know their true identity. They don't know who they really are in Jesus. Let's go now. We're going to look at Abraham this morning. Go to Genesis uh, chapter 17. You can turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen behind me, I guess, by faith. <clears throat> Is there a Bethany? Good. Now, as we all know, Abraham is the father of the faithful of all of us. He's a, he was a, an awesome follower of God. But we learned that in the beginning, he was from Ur of the Chaldeans, the city of Ur of the Chaldeans, which was a pagan city. And he was just an old stargazer, a star worshiper. But God Almighty in sovereign grace came to Abram. That was his name at that time. He came to Abram. He said, Abram, I want you to forsake your kindred, your land, everything you had, and come follow me to a land that you know not. And if you'll do that, I'll make your name great. I, I, I will bless you abundantly. I will cause you to become the father of a multitude. Through you will come a redeemer, a, an anointed prince who will give his life to save mankind from their sins and will result in a redeemed community of which you will be the father of. That's quite a promise. And you know what the Bible says that Abram did? He went. He went. And he followed God to the land of Canaan. And then through the next few chapters in the book of Genesis, God begins to add to that covenant promise that he made to him, that I'll make you great and you'll become the father of redeemed multitude. He begins to add to that promise. In chapter 15, he takes him outside and says, look at the heavens. And Abram, Abram looks up and sees all the stars. He says, so shall your descendants be. If you can count all those stars, 
That's how many you'll be the father of. And it says that Abram believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And then the latter part of that chapter, God cut that beautiful blood covenant with him, confirming the promise that he had made to him. He cut that promise in blood. And then we come to chapter 16. And 11 years have passed since the promise was made to Abram that he would have a son, and through this son would come all these descendants, one of whom would be the Messiah, and resulting in a redeemed multitude. He's been waiting 11 years, still no baby. And Sarah says to Abram, maybe the Lord meant we're to do it this way. I have this beautiful Egyptian uh, handmaiden named Hagar. Why don't you take her, have sexual relations with her, and any child that's born to her will really be mine because she belongs to me. Abram said, that sounds like a cool idea. And so you know the result of that story. Ishmael is born, of which many of our problems today in the world were due to that lapse in faith. Now, come to chapter 17. And I want to read the 16th verse of chapter 16. And it says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, we would all agree that at age 86, Abram was still physically capable of fathering a child. Is that correct? Is that right? He did. You come to chapter 17, though, things are different. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. He's 99 now. And the fourth chapter of Romans tells us that by this time, his body is dead. He is no longer sexually capable of having a child. Same thing is said in Hebrews 11. Both of them agree that Abraham's body is dead. Verse 2, And I'll make my covenant between me and you, and you will and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, which means exalted father. But your name shall be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. And I'll make nations of you and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And so his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. Now I want you to watch the significance of a name here. It's so important. So Abram now begins to call himself Abraham. You can just see a neighbor coming by a few days later and say, hey, 
What's this name change business? What's this Abraham business? What's this father of multitude business? And Abraham looks at him and says, my name is Abraham. He said, how many kids do you have? He says, one, and he don't count. But I am the father of a multitude. And so he begins to call himself by the promise of God. He begins to call himself Abraham. And every time he says it, he reinforces his true identity. Every time he says, I'm Abraham, he becomes more and more fully persuaded that that is who I really am. I am not Abram. I am Abraham, father of a multitude. You see what he's doing? He's walking in that great faith principle of Romans 4. He's calling those things to be not as though they are. Has he got a multitude yet? Nope. But he's got it in his heart. He's got the promise of God in his heart. He's discovering who he really is. I am Abraham. I'm the father of a multitude. I may not see him out there yet, but that's really who I am, praise God. He's getting hold of that. You see, he could not have fulfilled his destiny, which was to be the father of a redeemed multitude. He could not have fulfilled his destiny as Abram. He could have been an exalted father to Ishmael, but he could have never fulfilled his calling and his purpose and his destiny until he became Abraham. One year later, now, remember he's been waiting 24 years for this promise to come to pass. No baby. One year later, Isaac is born. What made the difference? He got hold of his true identity. He got hold of the fact that I am the father of a multitude. I don't know if y'all are getting this this morning, but uh, you got to get a hold of your true identity. If you're going to walk with God, if you're going to accomplish anything in the kingdom, if you're going to overcome in life, you've got to get a hold of your true identity of who you really are. If, you, if your true identity is overcomer or victor, victorious, then get a hold of it. Begin to believe it. Begin to say it. I am a victor. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. So, well, how come all these things are still overcoming you? Well, yeah, they are. But the truth is, my real identity is victor. That's who I am in Christ. And I'm not going to let a failure define me. Yes, sometimes I fail, sometimes I stumble, sometimes I sin, but I'm not going to let a failure define me. My definition of who I am is victorious. Praise God. That's my name. That's my name. Praise God. Well, let me throw in a little side note here. I think you'll think this is cool. Uh, you know, I used to think that after, after you know, this, this miracle happened, Isaac's born, I used to think that he and Sarah just did it one time and she got pregnant and has Isaac. Sarah lived 37 years after the birth of Isaac. And I'm quite sure her and Abraham are making love all during those 37 years. You say, Brother Jimmy, where'd you get that? I will show you. Turn to Genesis 25. 
Beth said, you should not talk about the sex life of Abraham, Jimmy, but this is, this is interesting. After Sarah died at age 127. Abraham is 137. So he goes three years now without a wife. Isaac marries Rebekah at age 40. So it says, the last verse of Genesis 24, Then Isaac brought her into the tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac is 40. That makes Abraham how old? 140, right? 140. Okay, here's a 140-year-old man now who, whose body at, not, at age 99 was dead, right? Look. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimron, Zakshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shilah. Wow. Whatever happened when he got a hold of his true identity, that I am Abraham, I'm the father of a multitude, his whole body got rejuvenated. And he takes him a younger wife and has six boys at age 40 and following. Whoa. Somebody said, boy, I wish my name was Abraham. Some of the men here. It has to do with getting a hold of who you are, amen? You won't go anywhere if you think you're a worm or a loser or whatever. You get a hold of who you really are. I'm a victor. He always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Your life changes. Let me finish with one story. Some of you heard me tell this because I, I told this story when I was here to ordain uh, our brother, <laughs> Fred, yeah, Brandon. I told it in the early service. I did not, second service we ordained Brandon. But I'm going to tell it again because it illustrates so well what I'm talking about here this morning. Six years ago in July, <coughs> Beth and I were down at the coast and my we left our two labs at home. I had an 11-year-old lab named Lady and a, a 14-month-old named Jenny. And while we were at the coast, they got out of the pen, got out on Highway 80, and were hit by 18 wheeler and killed them both. So I lost my two labs. And now it's July, and it won't be long till duck season in the fall, so I, I, need, I need a dog. So Beth got online, and she found a, a, a breeder down in... Uh, South Texas, and he had three yellow labs that were five months old. He had, lit, had had a litter of seven. The four blacks had sold. The three yellows had not sold. And so we went down to Quero to look at the dogs. I picked out the one that I thought was the best. Normally I would rather have got a puppy, but this dog is five months old, and he's selling them cheap. So I buy the dog for $150. When I get the papers, the restoration papers, I suddenly realized that I had dropped into a gold mine. This dog had grand national champions on one side, national champions on the other side. She had a pedigree unbelievable. We named her Annie Oakley. And I quickly realized that I had never trained a dog of this ability. She was smarter, faster, 
unbelievable dog. But I also realized that she's going to be the hardest dog to train that I had ever trained. I mean, you realize sometimes your, your most gifted children are the ones hardest to handle. So I have this very, very gifted dog with tremendous pedigree. And, and I, I began to train her. And she's got good qualities. And I began to tell her, hey, you got the DNA of a champion. You got the genes of a champion. You are a champion. That's who you are. But her behavior is not matching who she really is. She's wild. We take her on her first hunt. My son, Tim, and my granddaughter, Damaris, and I, uh, right after Halloween, where we had a Halloween flood, a huge flood in 2013 in Texas. The lake we were hunting had flooded. The water's just gone down, and everything is mud. I mean, it's mud. Awful. Well, we waded into that mud that morning with my dog, Annie, and with Tim's dog, Scarlet. Put the dogs on the leash, got the decoys out, set the spinner decoy out, and it's spinning. First light, some ducks come in. We start shooting. Ducks are falling. And I turn Annie loose. Tim had already told me that she's too young to hunt her yet. I said, no, no, no. She's, she'll, be, she'll do good. She's eight months old. Turn her loose. She zips out there, her and Scarlet getting ducks. Scarlet starts in with a duck. She jumps on Scarlet's back, sinks her under the water, trying to take the duck away from her. Very aggressive. Then she sees a live duck called the spinner decoy. She attacks the spinner, smashes it under underwater. Then she grabs one of the dead ducks and begins to run up and down the lake, playing with this duck, having the time of her life. And Tim's over there saying, Dad, ducks are coming. Get your dog under control. Get your dog under control. Finally, I catch her, get her back on, on the leash. The next time I release her, she comes back into the body. She runs over to Damaris. She's covered with mud, and she just leaps up on Damaris and gives her a big old hug, puts mud all over my granddaughter, and Damaris is just kind of petrified by what's happening with his dog. Then she comes to me, and she leaps on me, gets mud all over me, knocks one of the lenses out of my glasses, gets mud all in the action of my semi-automatic uh, shotgun, and so now my gun is shooting a single shot and I can't see because, uh, uh, oh my, it's just a disaster. And then she sees the ducks that we've killed hanging in the tree on the string. Why get one when you can get the whole stringer? She grabs the whole stringer of ducks and begins to run up and down like slinging pintails and slinging widgets all over the lake. We get ready to go. She makes a run to the truck, leaps up in the bed of the truck, grabs Tim's gloves, takes off across the field with Tim's gloves. Finally, we get her home. And Tim says, Dad, that was the hunt from hell. But I'm still working with her. I'm walking her every day. And I'm saying, Annie, you have the DNA of a champion. You are a champion. Well, second season comes around. We're not much improved. Now she has taken to 
barking in the blind. She gets bored. If no ducks are coming, she's barking and barking and barking and barking. It's hard to call ducks when you've got a barking dog in the blind. And then she learned, why go after one duck when there's 12 of them out there on strings right in front of the blind? So she'd jump out there and she'd grab the decoys and drag them up to, up into the blind. And Tim said, Dad, get your dog under control. Get your get that dog under control. Whew, oh, my. But every day I'm walking with her and I'm saying, Annie, I know your behavior is not matching it, but I know who you really are. I know who you really are. you got the DNA of a champion. You are a champion. So we're walking. Then comes the third season. We got the barking stopped, got most of the decoy retrieving stopped. We're still playing keep away some with the dead ducks. Come right up to me and then run back around and chase her, all of that. But I'm beginning to see glimpses of who she really is. I'm beginning to see how fast and how eager she is to get to that fallen bird, how she can find birds in the grass that have fallen. I'm beginning to see glimpses. But every day I'm still walking. Tell her, Annie, you got the DNA of a champion. I want you to believe who you really are. You're Annie Oakley. You're a great hunter. By the fourth season, things are changing. I begin to hunt with the champion. I begin to hunt with a dog now that comes and sits there in the blind quietly, waits for the bird to fall, not getting the decoys anymore. Not playing keep away anymore. Fourth year. Fifth year. Last year, I hunted with the champion. This year, I'll hunt with the grand champion. She has become who she really was. I had a fellow say, well, why didn't you just get rid of her and get you another dog? I said, for one reason. I knew what was in her. Think about this. Why doesn't God just give, on, give up on us sometime, huh? Because he knows... What he's put in us, right? He knows he's put his spirit in us. He's put his DNA into us. He knows who we really are. We just have to begin to believe it and say like Abraham, my name is Abraham. I'm the multitude. I am the father of a great multitude. Praise God. Wow. That's pretty simple, huh? But to find people who will do it is a different story. Because when circumstances and old habits and all this are still hanging on you and you're not really overcoming, you're being overcome as much as you're overcoming, it's hard to dare to believe that's not who I really am. Who I really am is the man in Christ. Who I really am is the victor. Who I really am is the overcomer. And dare to believe that and begin to say it. Calling those things to be not as though they were until it comes into reality, even in the natural realm. Praise God. Let's pray together. I know a lot of you in here have, you, 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 you have laid hold of what I've talked about in years past. You, you know who you are and you live in that. You walk in that. There are others here who don't. Though you are a believer in Jesus, and he says that you are a new creation, he says you have a new name, you have a new DNA, you don't really live in that. You don't walk in that. You don't say that. That's who I want to pray for this morning. 
I want to pray for people who are struggling with who you really are in Christ. So with our heads bowed, let's bow, every head be bowed now. We're going to pray. If you're struggling with your identity of who you really are, I want you just to lift your hand. I want, I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up if you're struggling with your identity uh, about concerning who you really are. Got a few hands raised. And I'm sure there's others you're struggling. I I know that I'm a, I'm a believer. I know that Jesus is in me. I know that. But but I, I struggle with who I really am. That's who I want to pray for this morning. I want, I want you to get that down in your heart this morning of who you really are. So I'm going to pray now. And at the end of this service, I'm going to ask, those, let's just come on down. Those who help pray at the altar, come on down here right now if you would. Let's just come on down here who help pray at the altar. Now let's just listen to the Holy Spirit. He wants to help you this morning. He wants you to grab hold of who you really are. He wants you to begin to live in that new identity. Everything changes when you begin to live in that new identity. Everything changes. I'm going to pray. And those who need prayer, I'm going to ask you to just get up from where you are and come here to the altar. And let one of these begin to pray with you about your identity of who the Bible says that you really are. Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a new name. You've given us your DNA. You've given us your nature. That's who we really are. Sometimes our behavior doesn't match who we really are. But Lord, we, we want to believe who we are. We want to believe you. We want to believe like Abraham, who dared to say, I'm the father of a multitude, when he yet didn't have any children. But he dared to believe it and to say it. I am Abraham. I am the father of a multitude. Would you dare to do that this morning? Would you dare to believe and say who you really are? If you'll do that, things change in your life. Father, we thank you. We bless you. Fill this altar full of the, full of the anointing. As people are already coming, Lord, we just pray that this, this altar be full of the anointing. That false identities be destroyed. And our true identity be discovered. We pray that in Jesus' name. Those of you who need prayer, come on quickly. We're going to do it in just a moment. Then we're going to be dismissed. Struggling with who you are, just come on here with these that are already at the altar. This is your time for prayer.